Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast, and we're taping on Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. Today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio uh, at his mom's house down in Maryland, Taylor. That's where you are? Correct. Crofton, Maryland, C-72, once rated the 72nd nicest place to live in all of America. Don't think I've ever forgotten it. That was in like 2006. So That would uh, be Taylor Schwenk, uh, <laughs> Vermont, being the, Vermont being the number one place to grow up. Uh, I'm Buster Only working from my home in New York. Happy holidays, everyone. We close in uh, New Year's Eve annually, of course, at this time of year. And for me, that always raises distinct memories from the time of the death of Roberta Clemente. December 31st, 1972, it was on a flight meant to bring supplies from San Juan, Puerto Rico to Nicaragua, which had suffered a devastating earthquake and overloaded the plane went into the sea. I was eight years old at the time. I remember first hearing about it on the radio and then seeing the banner headlines the next day. And so I wanted to do a podcast today about Roberto Clemente, about his life, about his death, his legacy. And we're going to hear three different voices. David Marinus, the award-winning author who wrote the best biography of Clemente. Longtime big league player and coach Joey Cora, who's from Puerto Rico and was seven years old when Clemente died. And longtime pirate and friend Steve Blass, who was Clemente's teammate for the better part of a decade. He has many memories of someone who he watched with awe. Before we get to all that, some news and notes at a time when there's a not, not a lot going on, let's face it. Buck Walter was hired last weekend and introduces the Mets manager the other day. Here's some of what Buck had to say on the Zoom call he had with the reporters. It's going to be a priority, you know, from day one to put a product out there that everybody can be proud of. You know, there's going to be people when we're on the West Coast uh, staying up to one or two o'clock in the morning to see how the Mets did or do. And, you know, I just want everybody to embrace that responsibility. And, uh, you know, Steve continues to eliminate excuses that we might have for things we can't do. You know, the Mets are going to be uh, something that's very precious to the people that that uh, we bring in. And um, it's, a, it's a great responsibility that uh, I and we will take very seriously every day. And Taylor, you and I, it felt like we talked about this as soon as we got word that Luis Rojas was not going to return as the Mets manager, that Buck was the perfect hire all along. You as an Orioles fan can relate. Yes, I think this is a great hire. I mean, he's he's a steady hand. I mean, there's there's no other there's no better way to put it. Like, I feel like he really those kind of weird issues that are very Metsian. Maybe uh, he's got the magic touch and can iron them out. I think he's as good a choice as any. So uh, good luck, Mets fans. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. The Oakland Athletics announced their new manager, Mark Kotze, of course, played for years in the big leagues and more recently has been the Oakland third base coach. Here's part of what Kotze had to say on his Zoom call with reporters. I really, really appreciate um, your words, David, in terms of whether I was going to manage here in Oakland or whether I was going to manage somewhere else. Oakland has always been open to, to giving me an opportunity to go through those processes, uh, which I truly believe um, I learned a great deal about myself, a great deal about what it takes to sit in this chair uh, and to be responsible for leadership, um, which I'm very thankful uh, to the A's. The Yankees have hired former Oakland third baseman Eric Chavez for their coaching staff. Baseball tonight is fueled by Gatorade. Gatorade's proven formula. Whatever path you take, greatness starts with G. Really sad news earlier this week uh, from the Detroit Tigers. First base coach Kamara Barti passed away at age 49. Uh, they did not disclose the cause of death, saying only the Barti died suddenly. Uh, Kamara Barti was someone who came up in the Orioles organization. I met him in the spring of 1995. What a great person. Unbelievably sad to hear that news. Taylor, what else do you have? Buster, just a couple things to note, uh, even though the holidays are going on and and you might be, uh, I say that to the listener, kicking it for a little bit and, and not going to the office, but we are still churning out a lot of content over here. A uh, big one. We've got the college football playoffs next weekend. So next week on ESPN's college football podcast, 
we will basically have the whole rotation uh, back in order. Mondays with Kirk, Tuesdays with Pollock and Reese, Wednesdays with Booger and Kevin, and Thursdays with Kevin and Joey Galloway. And they're going to all preview the college football playoff throughout the week. So that should be really good. Uh, SV Pod was great last night. Uh, check that out. And as well as Stanford, Stephen the Bear, they're giving you all of their college football bowl picks. Check all of those out wherever you're consuming this podcast right now. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Steve Blass pitched 10 years in the big leagues. All of those were the Pittsburgh Pirates. And for eight seasons, he was a teammate of Roberto Clemente. Uh, for years, you heard and saw him on the broadcast of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Steve, how are you? I'm doing good. Doing good, Buster. I'm uh, retired now after the 2019 season, and I'm getting pretty good at it. <laughs> Actually, my timing wasn't all that bad when we reflect back. Yeah, I, it was funny when I was preparing for that. That's exactly what I thought uh, when I was like, oh, boy, you got to avoid all the all the COVID questions and the traveling and doing the broadcasts and, and, and all that. Um, yeah, I, it's been, it's, it's, it's been quite good. Actually. Uh, we didn't have a year last year, but uh, I've been able to catch up with, uh, with my life and my wife and, and all that stuff. She's got some issues. So uh, it's my turn to look after her after she looked after me for 60 years of the pirates. <laughs> well, I, uh, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time uh, in, in yeah, doing absolutely. this. I mentioned, Mentioned to you, reached out, you know, we're getting close to New Year's Eve, which for me is uh, always brings back a memory of being eight years old and, and hearing the news about uh, about Roberto Clemente. I'm curious, the first time you met him, when was that and what were your first impressions? Well, uh, you know, I, I came from Connecticut and uh, tried out when I was out of high school, but I never met him. So my first time of, of, of meeting him and seeing him was in spring training of 1961, my first uh, invitation to spring training at the Major League Camp. And they were just coming off the World Championship. So we were 18-year-old minor leaguers. We hardly dared to talk to those guys. And uh, you know, all we could do is look at them and admire them. So uh, even, even in the first couple of years, but uh, well, I, I tell this story and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's true because it happened a little bit later on. When I finally got up to the big leagues and won a couple of games, I had him up on this plateau. You know, we had, uh, all us young pirates uh, hardly dared to speak to him even then. But I won a few games, so I, I was in the locker room, and finally I dared. I, I said, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this squared away." So I walked over to his locker and said, uh, "Listen, Roberto, here's here's the deal. If I ever get traded, I'm gonna pitch you inside because every National League pitcher pitches you away, and you have 350." And he said, Blast, I'm going to tell you one thing. You pitch me inside, I will hit the ball to Harrisburg. I said, oh, oh, okay, good talk. And I turned around, went back to my locker. <laughs> he actually told me that. And, you know, we were on, we were on pretty good terms by then. But uh, he, he was just a fascinating character. And, Buster, when you go back to that New Year's Eve, Dave Justy, a teammate and, and a great great pirate pitcher, uh, we're, having a, we're neighbors and we're having a New Year's Eve party. And uh, – he and his wife, Jenny, decided to stay over, and the phone rang at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was Bill Guilfoyle, who had form formerly worked for the Yankees, but he was our PR director, and he said there's been an unconfirmed report that a plane went down in Puerto Rico and Clemente was on it, and uh, that was the end of any idea of sleep that night, and I'll never forget it. We went to Joe Brown, our general manager's house, 
you know, back then we didn't have the 24 hour news loop cycles and uh, we just were searching for answers and we couldn't get none. It was, it was early in the morning, New Year's day morning. Joe didn't have any information. We went to Willie Stargell's house and uh, it's just, you know, when I look back on all the chaos uh, and, and I look back and, and I feel like the shoulders of the city of Pittsburgh slumped when we all found out it was true. It, it was just such a, such a shock, such devastation. When you do you remember? I know it was almost fifty years ago, but what uh, what what do you remember about how exactly you found out? You mentioned that there had been uh, the unconfirmed report. When did you actually hear specific news about it? Probably later on this morning, about ten or eleven o'clock, we get we got confirmation. Guilfoyle called back, and uh, you know we just didn't know how to how to digest it, and uh, uh, you know it's just been such an icon. Uh, around around our city and and you know more so than the baseball world because we were connected with him every day and uh it, it was it was just you know usually you're you're getting ready for a new year and looking forward to things and optimistic and it was just it was just a punch in the gut for our city and and all the people in it so yeah late, the, the morning of uh, july 1st that's when we got the confirmation what uh, in those days after? Uh, what do you remember about the your, you and your teammates connecting? Well, we we connected because uh, we were all the we were scheduled to go to a memorial in in Puerto Rico. So Dave Jesse was the player rep. So I was, I, you know, we're good friends and neighbors. So we'd go down to the ballpark and try to help with the arrangements, you know, checking in with people, who's going to be there, who's not. And, and uh, you know, there was officials from Pittsburgh, uh, political people and, and other folks that were going to go on down on a charter. So we were doing that. But as it all unfolded throughout the memorial, uh, I, I, I don't know how I got through that. I wound up re- reading the eulogy that had been paraphrased from Lou Gehrig with the Yankees' permission. But uh, the, the thing was, you, you have that devastation uh, on New Year's Eve, and then you you go to spring training and that's you miss him all over again. It's like you just lost him again because here we were in spring training in in seventy three uh, without Clemente. Uh, that just didn't seem possible. So you get through that and then you go to opening day and once again uh, it all comes back. So it was almost like a three stage uh, grieving scenario uh, that was not any easier as as it went along. Uh, so it it just. Uh, it was just such a, such a bizarre time. Uh, that spring, I was going to ask you about that. That spring, as you guys got back together, was it uh, almost? It felt like it just a, just an extension of that memorial service. A- absolutely, yeah, yeah. So now we we go through spring training. Now you come home to Pittsburgh, uh, where you know you got a full house at Three River Stadium and and uh, all all the acknowledgement and and the the moment the moments of silence and all, all that sort of thing and, uh, and and then you see Manny Sanguian out in right field uh which which never did work out but that was a funny look because Sangu was such a fixture behind home plate and such a good friend of Clemente and he wasn't an outfielder so that didn't obviously work uh for Bill Verdon our manager or or Manny and it was just a uh, it was it was it was just a, a different opening day. There was just a pall over uh, what should be a you know the the opening that you start the world of baseball again. Uh, well, it, it just wasn't that. I remember reading in a biography about Manny Sanguian that as that memorial service was going on, he actually was uh, swimming and looking for the wreckage of the plane and looking for signs of Roberto. Correct. Yes, correct, and that wasn't uh, that wasn't just one day or, or one hour or one afternoon. That was he was down there continually, uh, uh, just devastated because you know he was a friend and and of course he was a great mentor to to, to Manny and and all the Latinos that that came to our ball club. I mean, what a figure uh, to help you uh, adapt to the major leagues when you when you get called up or uh, adapt to Pittsburgh and and um, have him over there in your corner. And he was very attentive to all those guys. Uh, I, I mean, even before the World Series, we played in 71. Uh, so uh, so attentive to, to Jackie Hernandez, who, uh, you know, Earl Weaver said, uh, you, you, you can't win with Hernandez at short. And so symbolically, he, he was involved in the, the last out of the, of, of the series. But uh, Clemente was that way. So what a scenario for Manny Sanguin and all the Latino guys to, to – um, uh, be introduced to Pittsburgh and the Pirates in the city. 
Describe him as a teammate. What was he like on a day-to-day basis? I, I, I don't want to say the word inspirational, but you always, you were always watching him. I mean, I, I felt like I was there eight years with him and parts of others. And, and uh, you just didn't want to take your eyes off. He was always impeccably dressed. Like I could have been a movie star, even at 38 when, when uh, the accident happened. A handsome man, always well-dressed. Uh, he carried himself with that, you know, the, the, from all the books you read and the David Moranis book, he carried him with, with, a, with a, uh, a presence that uh, you, you didn't want to be, you, you, you wanted to be around. You felt good looking at him. And uh, I, I wrote in a little book that I wrote that I said, you know, he, he even had a presence kneeling in the on deck circle. But uh, he was he was a cut above. You know, we were major league ballplayers. We had to be good to be there. But uh, he he seemed to, to exist on a, on a higher level uh, as far as I felt uh, when I when I watched him, when I wasn't pit, when I when I when I was pitching and watched him in right field, I was delighted. But even when I wasn't pitching, sitting on the bench, you, you wanted to watch everything he did because uh, he he he, um, he had the style and, and the way you know the basket catch, the way he ran the bases. He didn't he didn't fly, he didn't have a big stride. He galloped, uh, but he always got there in time. So there there were aspects of him. I I, I watched him uh, the, the the way he handled the the clubhouse guys and. Uh, I, I got lucky. I'm from a small town in Connecticut. I got lucky to spend eight years with him. I always, uh, you know, have told friends who've asked me about players, said, look, they're, they're just like everybody you work with at the office. They have insecurities. They have things that they have to work through. But there have been, in my time covering baseball, some exceptions. For example, I always felt that Derek Jeter knew when he was going to show up to the park. And, you know, I don't mean that literally, that he was going to get three hits that in a big yeah. moment that he was going to come through. Mariana Rivera had that without a doubt, uh, you know, this absolute belief. And I, you know, as I mentioned, I was eight years old when Clemente passed away, but that was my sense of him is that he had this, this tremendous inner strength. Yeah. Yeah. Clemente was, was like that. Now I wasn't around in his early years, but by the time I got there, he, he was the man, you know, you, you got Willie Stargell there. You got Bill Mazeroski there, but uh, the, you know, as as a teammate, uh, I was also a fan, and and I, I expected him to get something special done uh, each each day. And you know, I felt that way about Stargell too, and in, in, in a small way, Maz, and walking in, you know, pitch, you know, pitching and, and being on a team with three future Hall of Famers. But Clemente had that different kind of presence that he carried himself with, and uh, so so when when he came up to bat, you know he's got a wise stance. He looks awkward. He hits off his front foot. Looks like his name neck is going to come unattached from his head as he gets ready to get in the box. All those things, but they combined to, to have a package that you didn't want to miss. You, you didn't want to miss anything about it. So I was expecting him to do well every night. And damned if he didn't. Uh, most most nights, as you say, with with Jeter and the Mariano Riveras, there there are those special people. But then you get into the personalities, and uh, every one of them have their own unique personalities, as as did Clemente. So he, he was just he was just fun to watch. Uh, what? How would you describe his legacy in baseball? Uh, well, you start with the fact that he was one of the first great Latino players. Uh, his his le- legacy was, oh God, that, that uh, uh, something special to the city of Pittsburgh. Uh, we were we were lucky to have him, and uh, a, a guy that was to me, Clemente. I'll say that he was one of the most fascinating baseball players I was ever around, and and I I had the the opportunity to watch Mays late in his career and watch Henry Aaron a lot. I thought, you know, I, I could talk hours about Aaron too, but, but Clemente, he had that fascinating, he was exciting. He was, he, uh, Maze was exciting and, and his old, but I saw Clemente every day. So his legacy to me is one of the most fascinating baseball players uh, that, that, that I, I watched or was around and, yeah, I and, and, feel- and, 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 and the legacy too. Then you go from that to the fact that he, he was aware of the world. Here's a part of his life. He was aware of the world around him not just the world of baseball he had he was aware and he always said i relate to the people who who struggle yeah and, and and he lived that and uh you know died doing it so there's that unique 
chapter of humanitarianism, humanitarianism that not everybody has. And uh, he, let, he, he lived that. And his, his goal was to build a, a, a baseball, not a, an academy, a, a, a place where kids could, could grow, learn, uh, be taught uh, everything, baseball, uh, go to school. He had this dream of Pirate City that uh, that started, uh, never really flourished. But I have no, I have no doubt that he would have made it flourish. And I tell people, I, I said, if he lived, I wouldn't have, I would have been as surprised if he was the governor of Puerto Rico. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how do you feel about the idea that's been talked about within baseball circles about retiring his number? Uh, Buster, I, I wouldn't have any problem with it. I don't need it. I, I, I've got. Uh, I've got his number and his his life that I that I saw embedded in my mind. Uh, so uh, I, I don't need it. If, you know, I, if they do it, uh, I would certainly not argue about it or be disappointed. But I, I've got everything I need about Clemente from a personal standpoint. So I'm I'm just fine with it the way it is. And you know, his legacy it, it doesn't go away. There 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 were great ball players. You know, the, the Mays, the Ruth, all 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 that. But I don't know if anybody like Clemente has had uh, there, there's books written about him every year. There's, there's, there's uh, celebrations, there's memorials, there's parks named after him, streets, playgrounds, the legacy after all these years uh, doesn't seem to lessen. Uh, and that tells you about a guy that did not play in a great, uh, great media center, like New York, Chicago, LA. Uh, this is the guy that got discovered after the world series of 71 by the people around baseball, but we've been seeing it for 20 years. So, uh, that, that legacy is, 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 is ongoing. So, uh, when you called and, and, and asked me to do this, I never hesitate. I, I love talking about him because again, I feel lucky that I spent some time with a guy like Clemente. David Marinus is an associate editor of the Washington Post and the author of many books, including Clemente, The Passion and Grace of Baseball's Last Hero. David, how you doing? Just great, Buster. Great to be with you. Hope we well, have a baseball. Thanks for joining season. us. As I mentioned to you in the, the message I sent to you, when we get to this time of year, every year, uh, I, I always think back to you know being eight years old and, and hearing the news about Clemente. Um, how did you, what do you remember about the time you heard about that news from, uh, December 31st, 1972? Buster, I was, uh, 23 years old. I was the weekend and night, uh, re- uh voice of WIBA radio, uh, reading the news at night. And as I recall, it was, uh, uh, I was, you know, it was a holiday, of course, it was New Year's Eve. And so I was working that night. And I remember the uh, I was in the small office with a with a teletype machine and it started playing as it does when there's something special coming over. And so I read as the as the type was punching out about Clemente's uh, death. And he was my favorite player, Buster. I mean, I grew up in Wisconsin. I loved Henry Aaron and the Milwaukee Braves. Uh, Warren Spahn, Lou Burdett, Billy Bruton. But there was something about Clemente that just drew me to him. You know, every kid I think has someone, whether it's an athlete or a singer or a writer who just has a special connection for them. And for me, that was Roberto Clemente for a lot of reasons. But in any case, when I saw it, you know, I was, I was overwhelmed um, with grief and I turned that grief into action. And I had a, a five minute newscast that night and I devoted the entire newscast to Roberto Clemente. So I'm sure the listeners, if there were any, were wondering, what the heck is he doing? But that's how much he meant to me. Well, I don't know if you saved a copy of what you what you said on air or if what you remember about that, but was it difficult to get through for you? Uh, it was difficult. You know, I yeah, that was the beginning of my uh, career as a journalist. As a journalist, you learn how to um, separate briefly your personal feelings from what you're doing at the moment. Um, but yes, I, as I recall, I played a Puerto Rican song. I had some uh, what they call actuality. I guess you would know that from radio uh, of Clemente talking. Um, I recalled uh, his 1971 World Series and then just reported what the AP had at that point about the plane crash, which was not much. 
And so, you know, it was decades and decades later when I decided to do this book that I really uncovered uh, the tragedy, needless tragedy of that plane crash. So uh, obviously your, your fandom was uh, an initial inspiration for you in doing the book. Tell me, walk me through your thought process as you decide, okay, I'm, I'm definitely doing this. Well, um, you know, there are a lot of athletes that I root for, um, whether they're Green Bay Packers or Milwaukee Brewers, you know, my teams or, or other players that I like. But, you know, I'm never going to write a book about Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre. Um, I wrote a book about uh, Vince Lombardi because he represented so much more about the mythology of competition and success in American life. And similarly, I thought Roberto Clemente was a chance to write about the sport that I love and about a, a human being that I was fascinated by, but also had some larger themes to it about the role of, of Latino ballplayers in America, the role of immigrant, you know, mi migrant workers in a sense. He wasn't an immigrant because Puerto Rico was part of the United States, but he was a migrant worker applying his trade. He had to overcome two prejudices of both race and language. Um, and he was that, what I would call rare athlete who was growing as a human being as his talents were somewhat diminishing. You know, so many athletes, sadly, once their, once their athletic talents are gone, they, they struggle with what to do with life. And I could see Clemente learning and growing as he was getting older, becoming a more powerful figure politically as a humanitarian and as a leader of people. Yeah, when we talked to Steve Blass yesterday, he mentioned that uh, he wouldn't have been surprised if Clemente had wound up being the, the governor of Puerto Rico. Um, you know, he, and he spoke to exactly what you mentioned that you couldn't take your eyes off him. He said, you know, he was a guy that he said, I'm a professional player and I couldn't take my eyes off him. Um, as you were doing your research, what were some of the stories that really uh, tugged at your heart uh, as you related to uh, talk to his former teammates about that night, uh, December 31st? Well, you know, all of them were completely broken up. I think uh, Blast and Juicy and some guys were at a New Year's Eve party. Um, Manny Sanguian uh, was just totally crushed. He was like Clemente's big brother. Vic Power, had, the great Vic Power, another player I loved in that era, um, was had gone to Nicaragua with Clemente um, previously when they, when they were running the uh, Puerto Rican team and the Caribbean World Series. Um, he, he sort of had this haunting feeling that something horrible had gone on. Um, it was an emptiness. Uh, Orlando Cepeda described how New Year's Eve in Puerto Rico is usually the most joyous, raucous uh, evening of the year. And he felt this eerie quiet even before he knew what had happened with that plane. Um, Clemente was... Um, you know, he was not a saint, even though he's now sort of regarded as one uh, in the Spanish-speaking world and in Pittsburgh. He was a, he was a beautiful, agitated, um, contradictory, uh, unsettled. You know, he was proud of everything, including himself. But he had this these characteristics that that were transcended uh, most ball players, and, and so they were by the time of 1972, he had matured to such an extent that every player on the Pirates and most of the league were in awe of, of Clemente. And so it was stunning. It was, here's one of the odd things about it is that he was like, it was impossible to believe that he was dead. Uh, the people of Puerto Rico thought they would come walking out of the sea. They waited along the shoreline for days afterwards, just thinking that Clemente would still be alive. And yet, for his short life, um, he was always haunted by death and a fear that he would die young and often had nightmares that he would die in a plane crash. Can you relate the conversation you had with Manny Sanguian about uh, what he did after the plane crash, uh, uh, swimming uh, and, and looking for Clemente? Uh, you know, Manny, uh, to Manny, Clemente was everything. He was his big brother, his soulmate. Um, and he went, you know, while the other pirates were mourning, uh, Manny went into action. He went out in one of the boats and went diving, looking for the body um, day after day. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was just, uh, 
he, he is one of those who couldn't believe that Clemente could really be gone. Um, and so he was, you know, it was both a physical search and an emotional search for something that was, that he couldn't believe was lost. Um, Manny uh, was the sort of, you know, Clemente was, had a, a, a hidden sense of humor and joy of life. And with Manny, it was all right out in the open. And so he was, he was a boon to Clemente as well as Clemente was a big brother to him. You know, I had read in your book um, about how long the grief lasted uh, among the pirate players. And then to hear Steve tell that story about going to spring training and then opening day. And then it's just something they relived and relived and relived and, and continued to add grief. Uh, can you just relate, you know, some of what you learned about that from your conversations with players? It was it was just an emptiness that they all described afterwards. You know, of so many ways of, you know, Clemente on the ball field as you know as we talked about earlier the the fact that you couldn't take your eyes off him, uh, the way he he kinked his neck when he was walking to the plate, um, the way he would throw the ball back in the infield underhanded um, when you know. At, when he made a catch um, or if someone was on base, that incredible throw from, from deep right field, to third base or home plate. So in all of those ways, it was like, um, where is he? You know, I mean, it was a ghost, an apparition of Clemente um, as well as, you know, his, the way he worked in the clubhouse, uh, giving other players massages, um, always jabbering at them, uh, teasing them. Uh, it, it was a it was a horrible emptiness, and and it lasted not just for that for that those few days, but really for for decades. I I tell a story in the book. I interviewed Tony Taylor, one of the Cubans, and he said that years afterwards, um, when he was a coach, he would take his players out to right field whenever they came to to Pittsburgh. Uh, he'd take the young Latinos out there and say. This is where the great one played. This is what you, this is, you know, what brought you here. And this is what you have to live up to. Uh, you know, he, he had that. It wasn't just Puerto Ricans. It was all of, of Spanish speaking, Latin American baseball playing Latin America and much of the rest of the country as well. Along those lines, how do you feel about the idea of Major League Baseball retiring Clemente's number 21? You know, I, I think they should do it. I think that that the main reason that it wasn't done during the Bud Selig era is, you know, a, a sort of a valid but personal reason of Bud's, which I think he would think, well, we have to retire Henry Aarons too then, you know. I think it, so. But I think that, that um, Latinos are so integral to Major League Baseball. And Clemente is the patron saint of all of them. Um, you know, you had Minnie Minoso before him, but it was really Clemente who sort of solidified that image of, of the, he was the first Latino in the Hall of Fame. Um, he had those extra ingredients um, that transcend baseball. I would love it if they retired his number, but I have to say, Buster, I also love it when everyone wears his number. You know, um, there are so many great Latino ballplayers over the years who have chosen 21 for that reason. You know, whether it was Carlos Delgado or Ruben Sierra, so many um, choose 21 to honor him. So he is honored. I think that the final honoring would be to retire his number. David, thanks so much for joining us. It's always great to talk with you. Well, thank you, Buster. I'm always happy to talk about the great one. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search 
match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Joey Cora played 11 years in the big leagues and has been a big league coach for most of the years since his time as a player ended uh, most recently as a third base coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was born and raised in Caguas, Puerto Rico. Joey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Buster? Everything I'm good? I'm doing great. Um, so you and I were are about the same age. Uh, we both enrolled at Vanderbilt at the same time, and, and you were seven years old when Clemente passed away. Uh, tell me yep. what you remember about that. When he passed away, that was uh, it, it was hard because uh, I remember like vividly we were going, we were in our, away from uh, from our grand grandparents' house back to our house, and then we heard the news in the in the radio, and you know back then it was the, that way, and we couldn't believe it in our way, and we we all start crying, you know my. My dad, which he, he was, he, my dad, he, he was a tough guy. He never, he never did that. There was some tears in his eyes. And then mom and myself, we started crying. We couldn't believe what was happening. And then we got home and then we put up, put up, put up the, the TV and there it was, but it was, it was a tough time because Clemente meant so much for, for us, for the whole Puerto Rican and, uh, community and, it was a tough time, and right now I'm feeling it because I, I remember vividly when, when it happened. Tell me, if you can, describe what, what he meant. Oh, well, he, he's, for, for, for me, and for, I would imagine for a lot of people in Puerto Rico, he's the most important Puerto Rican uh, in the history in our, of, our, of our island. I mean, he put Puerto Rico on, Puerto Rico on the map for, for the whole world. And uh, if it wasn't for him, he, he paved the way for all of us uh, that came after him to play baseball in the big leagues and then professional baseball. But he was so important, not only on the field, but off the field. And he made a difference in the world. And uh, like I said, he put Puerto Rico on the map. And uh, that will never, ever be forgotten by any of us. So your dad was heavily involved in amateur baseball in Puerto Rico. And, and, and this, I, I, again, I'd never asked you about this. Did, did he ever get a chance to meet Roberto Clemente? Yeah, he did because uh, he was a, he was a journalist and uh, he covered the Puerto Rican baseball league. And when Clemente played there and, and managed there, he, he, he was there to cover him too. So he did meet him a few times and he talked to him and, uh, I mean, it, it was interesting. And again, we'll go back to the first question. What, when did I we find out when that was one of the first, maybe the first time I ever saw my, my dad, uh, tears in his eyes when, uh, the news came on in the radio while he was driving. So, you know, that's how much he meant Clemente meant to him. And, you know, the fact that he talked to him and he interviewed him a few times, uh, it was even more shocking, I guess. What were some of the stories your dad might have related about him to you? Well, you know, the, the Clemente, Clemente, <laughs> Clemente was so nice with everybody. You know, he, he talked to everybody. He talked to every, you know, he, he did every interview. He, I don't think he ever turned one down, even, even though then it was maybe a little bit easier than now, obviously. Uh, but, um, you know, not, not as many newspapers, obviously no social media or nothing like that. 
but he was cordial to everybody and, and he made every he made everybody feel comfortable even though he was a, like i said before it's the biggest superstar the most important guy in puerto rico he he didn't act like that he had like like he was uh just you know anybody else and uh, he made everybody else feel very comfortable with him and uh, my dad's always said that he was so humble and even though he was a superstar that he wanted everybody to to all of us to make sure that we try to follow that path so uh i'm sure that you got to know manny sanguian you know long before you uh you joined the pirates but even then you know he was someone who always had a presence uh, has always had a presence with the Pirates. You know, Steve Blast, David Marinus were talking about, you know, Manny being just so devastated, uh, you know, feeling like he had lost his big brother. Have you, have you ever spent any time talking with Manny about that those days after when he was out swimming around yes. looking for, for Clemente? Without a doubt, uh, especially when I, when I joined the Pirates on, uh, as, a, as a third base coach and even as a minor league manager, uh, I talked to Manny. And uh, because I want to, I want to know by you know, from himself, you know, from his mouth, what, what was that all about? I heard all the stories, and uh, you know, the fact that he went there and uh, scuba diving, trying to find his body, all that stuff. And he, 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 he told me, he said it right to my face, everything that he went through at that time. And it, uh, there's another guy that's a tough guy, and but when he started talking about Clemente and what happened that day. Uh, he started crying, you know, and you can you can see the the pain uh, that that he feels every time he needs to talk about uh, Roberto Clemente. He that that was his big, you know, his big uh, big brother, maybe a father figure for Manny. And uh, up to this day, he's he reveres uh, reveres uh, Clemente, and he loves the guy. And he, he literally he was trying to to find him. He, he always thought he was going to be able to do it. He wanted to be the one that that saved Clemente because in, in many ways he, he feels like Clemente saved him, and, you know, while he was playing and and uh, he did a lot of things for Manny that uh, not too many people would have done and he helped Manny to become a big leaguer, the person that he is. And Manny's a great, great person, but he always credited Clemente for be, to help him out to be the, the person that he is. So he, 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 there's a lot of stories that Manny tells you about Clemente on and off the field, and it's very interesting. But you know, sometimes you try to stop because uh, talking to him because I know he's very. You can feel the pain in Manny's eyes that that uh, when when he needs to talk when when he talks about Clemente. But he loves the guy. He loves the guy. Most of uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you probably didn't get a chance to see him play in person in the big leagues. Most of what you and I know at our age. Uh, it's from highlight clips, but you yep. played the game at an incredibly high level. You played with Ken Griffey Jr. You played with Alex Rodriguez. When you watch those clips of Clemente, uh, what's a play that just jumps out at you where you're just like, oh, my God. What, what, uh, you know, what are some of those uh, observations you have as someone who's played so much baseball? The throw, the throw from the corner in the World Series, even though they got to third base, even though the guy was safe at third base. But when you see the highlight in the, in the World Series against the Orioles in 71 from the corner there to all the way <laughs> in the air <laughs> to third base, you know, you know maybe maybe a lot, a, lot, a lot of us like coaches and, and outfield coaches would say that you shouldn't be throwing that ball to third because he was in the corner and he had no shot. But he did have a shot. It was unbelievable. And then uh, obviously the homer to, to put the Pirates ahead in that World Series in the seventh game. And, you know, the athleticism, you know, that a guy, but remember, in in 71, Clemente was, what, 38 years old, 37 years old. He was playing at a super high level at that time. And he didn't have the the help, you know, the, you know, all the equipment, all the nutritionists, all that kind of stuff, and, you know, the the private planes, all that stuff. And he was playing at a super high level in a war series at that time. He was very productive. Uh, so that, that says a lot about what type of player he was. And, you know, Clemente had all the, the, the perks and all that stuff that we have right now, you know, private planes, nutritionists and weightlifting and coaches, all that kind of stuff. 
who, who knows? He would have been playing until he was like maybe six years old. You're talking about Tom Brady playing at 44. I mean, look at Clemente, 37 years old, being an MVP in the World Series in 71. That, 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 that's an that, that's unbelievable feat, in my opinion. So, Joey, you're going to love this story. Uh, the base runner on that play going from second to third base uh, was Merv Rettmund, who years later was a hitting coach with the San Diego Padres, a uh, team yep. that I covered. And I had always loved that particular highlight as well. And I asked Merv about that. And, you know, Merv was known as a fast runner when he was a player. And he told me that when he, he was running from second to third, he could see the body language of third baseman. I think it was Richie Hebner. Uh, as he's looking to take the throw and he couldn't believe that it was mm-hmm. in play. And he's like, Oh my God, I got it. I better pick it up here. Cause he yep, can tell from yep. the third base, the third baseman, he might get thrown out. He couldn't believe the ball. Yeah. got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe. And who knows? Maybe we replayed with a good replays that we had now. He might've been out. Who knows? I don't know. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, any, any, no, I don't think nobody can make that throw. Maybe Vlad Guerrero does it. I did it, you know, maybe uh, Raul Mondesi, maybe. Each year can make those throws, but I don't think they would have taken the chance of making that throw, you know, because obviously, not obviously, I mean, it seems like, you know, it, it was an easy first to third situation for, for Murph to run. He shouldn't be throwing that ball, but man, with those arms, they take a shot. And yeah, he did, and he, he was close. He was close, but he was super impressive because, I mean, all the way from in, in the air and in line, you know, it wasn't like those guys that throw the ball. They like a, It's like a puff fly ball, you know, throwing in, you know, a thousand feet in the air. No, he was in a line, a rope, like they, we say that. He was super impressive. He was super impressive. And that always is, is, has stuck in my mind for since the first time I saw that throw. You, know, you, you don't make those, th- those type of throws. You, you, so you're not supposed to make those type of throws, but he did it. He did it. Well, anybody who wants to see that throw can uh, look it up on YouTube. If you uh, type in uh, Roberto Clemente in, in 1971 World Series and throw. Joey, last one for you. Uh, you know, it feels like every year we have this conversation about retiring number 21. How do you feel about that? I think uh, you know it's getting it's getting closer, Buster, to, to that to that. I remember vividly the the way that with Jackie Robinson, the way he started with I uh, was playing with Seattle with uh, Junior, and uh, and Junior started that movement uh, to retire number forty two. He started you know asked for permission to wear number forty two, and then people started to follow. All of a sudden, the movement could have been stopped, and I think it's happening right now with twenty one. I mean, it started. When they passed, I started to to wear number twenty one on Clemente Day and and letting every Latin guy to wear number twenty one and now letting any player that wants to wear number twenty one to wear it on Clemente Day. They already got a Clemente Day September fifteenth for the rest of for the for for eternity to to being Clemente Day. So that's how it starts and. And it's going to happen eventually. I mean, the guy, in my opinion, he deserved it. He, he made a difference not only on the field, but off the field. He paved the way, uh, the way for, for, all, for all of us to play. I know Jackie, is, what Jackie did is unbelievable. That's unmatched. But Clemente did it, did it as well. And uh, he kept the legacy going. And up to this day, everybody remembers Clemente. Even, you know, you talk to any Latin guy right now, and nobody saw him, no, none of these guys saw him play and nobody obviously talked to him and nothing, but they all remember Clemente and they all want to know more and more and more about Clemente. So that's the type of guy that if you're going to retire a number, that's the type of guys that you want to retire a number. The guys that were good on the field, but obviously off the field and, and he, he was and he deserves it. Joey, always great to talk with you. Thanks for doing this. All right, Bosford. We'll talk to you later, man. May we see you in New York. Steve Blass was the winning pitcher in Game 7 of the 1971 World Series, defeating the Orioles 2-1. to And after that World Series, Roberto Clemente was voted the MVP. Uh, he spoke after the World Series on national television and really caught everybody's attention by asking for his parents' blessing in Spanish. Give a listen. And here with me right now, the greatest right fielder in the game of baseball, Roberto Clemente. Bobby, congratulations on a great World Series. Thank you, Bob. And before I 
I say anything in English, I would, I would like to say something for my mother and father in Spanish. En el día más grande de mi vida, para los nenes, la bendición mía y que mis padres me echen mi bendición en Puerto Rico. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a lovely Thursday, the 23rd. And uh, real quick, on the 25th, Christmas Day, the annual NBA tradition continues with five of the best gifts that anyone could ask for. The star-studded schedule starts at noon, Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on ESPN, with the Hawks taking on the Knicks at Madison Square Garden. Then over on ABC, the Celtics square off against the Bucks followed by the Suns hosting the Warriors. Later on ESPN and ABC, the Nets battle the Lakers with the day capped off by the Mavs clashing with the Jazz at 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific on ESPN. I will be watching uh, about 85% of that, and I believe that you should as well. Let's head over to the tweets. First up, my guy PK Steinberg writes in, do the players get paid next year if there is a delay to the season or, God forbid, no season? I'm wondering how motivated they are, if their wallets will be hurt, or does it not matter? For example, Scherzer's going to get his $43 million no matter what. That is a, a question uh, he follows up with. I genuinely don't know how it all works, but it's something I'd love to know. What do you think? Yeah, PK, no, the players don't get paid unless there's specific language in the contract. For example, in 2020, Dylan Batances had language that he got paid early in the year. Uh, so even though he had the pandemic and the 60-game season, he got the bulk of his money. But no, by and large, uh, players are not paid. Uh, the, I mean, 99.9% of the players are not paid uh, during this time. And it's it's a big deal. Uh, you know, that's the, if you're on the owner's side, that's the leverage potential you have to, you know, hope that the players make a deal. And on the player's side, you know, the fact that the owners potentially are losing money with the fact that they're not selling tickets now, they might lose games during the regular season, and you'd hope that loss of revenue on both sides uh, compels them both to the table. Last tweet for the show. David at Baseball Fan 1918 writes in, Hey, Buster, now that Buck is officially the Mets manager next year, how do you think he will put his stamp on filling out the roster with either free agents or trades when the lockout is over? Yeah, there's no doubt. I think that he's going to have a big voice in building the Mets bullpen once the free agency period starts again, and let me tell you something, I mean, that's that's what Buck is known for. He is excellent at running a bullpen, and the Mets clearly are just going to keep on spending when uh, baseball resumes, and the, the group that is the largest of unsigned players are relievers. They should do great, and I bet you Buck will be calling Billy Epler every two minutes saying, what about this guy? What about that guy? What do you think about getting that guy? I think they could build a great bullpen with Buck having a, a voice in that conversation. Great point, Buster. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're visiting with friends and family over the next couple of days, just they might be baseball fans. They might like to hear these tremendous interviews we had today. So do tell a friend or family member if they enjoy baseball as well. That's it for today. That's it for this year, right, Taylor? We're not doing a podcast next week. Nope, we are taking the week off. I know you're a little bit mad about a bookbuster because you you love the grind, but uh, I think this will be good for you, honestly. Yeah, I think it'll be good, too. <laughs> uh, and it'll be good for everybody to take a break. And we'll all cross our fingers that when the next time we have a podcast in the first week of January, that there'll actually be some progress in the labor talks. Uh, my thanks today to Steve Blast, to Joey Cora, David Marinus and Taylor, have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Don't get COVID. Uh, and uh, remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something that we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast.